Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with John Bohannon. John is Director of Science at a startup called Primer. John, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hey. So this conversation is an interesting one. It grew out of a listener response to a comment made in my recent interview with Jeff Dean. Uh, Jeff commented on the explosion of machine learning papers on Archive, and I jokingly asked if Google had already developed the deep learning-based summarization techniques to help us all keep up. And uh, it turns out that one of your colleagues, John, reached out to let me know that you have been working on this and have built it. Uh, and actually, yeah. just before we got started, you showed it to me, and it's pretty cool. So uh, here we are. Uh, but before we get into the details of that project, you've got an interesting background in molecular biology and data journalism. How did you find your way to AI? Uh, it's a long journey, but uh, I think it started in computer camp when I was nine years old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's that's the kind of summer camp I went to. And, um, uh, yeah, as, as my studies progressed, uh, I actually drifted, uh, away into biology, did a PhD in molecular biology. And then before, um, doing my next postdoc, uh, I wanted to take a break and do something different. So I tried being a journalist, a science journalist and, uh, fell in love with it and basically jumped off the academic track and became eventually a computational journalist, basically using data and code to find and tell stories uh, that are impossible to tell otherwise. And um, a friend of mine uh, named Sean Gorley, who uh, did his PhD with me in England at the same time, we actually lived in the same house, um, our fate eventually became intertwined again. Uh, he, uh, I moved to the Bay Area to do um, a visiting scholar stint at Berkeley, and he's in San Francisco. He says, hey, John, I've got this startup called Primer, and uh, you really should come by and check out what we're doing. I think you're going to find that um, the stuff we're working on really, really matches with the stuff you work on. And so uh, eventually I had some time and I was like, OK, I'll pop over there for a week. And um, sure enough, within one day, uh, it was clear that they were solving problems that I just find so hard and I wanted so badly to solve myself that basically, if you can't beat him, join him. <laughs> nice, nice. So maybe uh, for context, you can tell us a little bit about what the company does and um, the kinds of problems that, that they're working on or you're working on. Yeah. So Primer, at its core, is an AI company that's trying to make machines that read and write. Uh, that's the fundamental problem that underlies all this. Um, in terms of a business model, um, we, for example, automate a lot of the work that a junior analyst would do in, say, a bank or the intelligence community. Um, also, frankly, what a journalist does. Um, I feel like I'm reverse engineering myself every day um, because uh, a lot of what you have to do. Actually, it's, it's also somewhat automating a lot of what you do, Sam. Like um, all of our jobs, what we have in common is that we have to read a ton of stuff, often very technical stuff, and make sense of it, and then tell stories. We, like that is the fundamental unit of information. That's our data structure, right? a story. And uh, that, that, is, that is really hard for computers to do. It's uh, really so, hard for people to do. Exactly. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's one of those things that's both, that's hard for everyone. So... I think you're uh, relatively new to this podcast, but um, those that have been around for a while or from the beginning know that it started out uh, as more of a news-oriented format as opposed to an interview format. And basically, the my mission was to kind of summarize the most interesting AI and ML tidbits for, from the previous week's news. But that is super, super hard, especially with so much news happening all the time. It would take a ton of time to curate all of that information and digest it and, you know, turn it into stories, as you're as you're saying. 
Exactly. And so like you face several problems. And what we've tried to do at, at Primer is, is break it down into reasonable problems that you can actually attack. So one is, is for example, what's relevant? Like, it, you know, what are you telling a story about? It's, it's not enough to just say, I want to tell a story about last week's AI research. It's like, okay, well, where you, like what documents are relevant? Even mm-hmm. if you could get the papers, then it's like, well, where do you get all the conversations about those papers? How do you figure out what those papers were about? You know, if there were a thousand papers published over uh, the past several months and you wanted to tell a story of a thousand papers, I don't know how a human would do that. I, I, well, actually, I can tell you, humans simply don't do that. What we do is we take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. We sort of we sort of fly blind. We grab, you know, uh, the zeitgeist. Uh, and, and that's that's kind of a random process. It's like, well, I, you know, I, I overheard some conversations uh, and this seems to be a hot topic. I'm going to decide. And so I'm going to amplify it. And what you end up with are coherent stories, but uh, they're not necessarily what actually was the most important thing that happened. It's just some some strange sampling of the space of all things that happened. And that's the best you can do. But what if you had a machine that could actually read everything and show you, in some sense, everything that happened? That's the goal. So you showed me a, kind of a portal into research papers. Uh, yeah. Is the idea to provide that as a service or more the platform that allows someone to create that thing? So we're in a pretty privileged position. Um, we're privileged in the sense that uh, we've already got some really big customers. So um, the federal government, uh, Walmart, Singapore's Sovereign Trust, um, several others coming online soon. Um those, those are the those are the relationships that actually pay the bills. And so we do things like if you have a portfolio manager who's trying to keep track of a ton of companies, um, that portfolio manager needs to stay on top of all the relevant developments in the space roughly defined by all those companies, all the news about them, maybe SEC filings, uh, if you want to assess changes in risk profile. Um, it's, it's sort of an overwhelming task. And so um, Primer basically superpowers those analysts by automating uh, all the things that are really hard and tedious and time consuming. And it basically reduces the cost of curiosity. It allows those analysts to not spend half their day reading a million things just to find out what was worth reading. Instead, they can they can see um, summaries of, uh, you know, 100 papers at once get a sense of whether it's wor- worth diving deeper or look at another batch of a hundred papers. Um, it, you know, it also gives alerts, uh, with, um, predefined conditions, uh, so that you don't lose a second. If, if something that, you know, in retrospect is going to be, uh, a situation worth knowing about, you'll get a heads up. So meanwhile, though, you can use the same machine machinery that does reading and writing and summarization to do things like the thing I sent you like read all of archive. So um, we do we do have a business model for this system going forward. We're going to be developing it into products for, uh, for example, the pharmaceutical industry. But for the time being, we just have this, this beautiful laboratory where we get to um, really push the edge of natural language processing. Tell us more about this archive project that you've built. Yeah. Archive is a really good illustration of this problem that we all face of too much information. If you ever go to the archive website, uh, you basically see a fire hose of research coming in. Um, Archive is amazing because it is literally the place uh, where uh, research gets debuted. It's it's the first place you'll see a paper coming out from uh, Google or Microsoft or um, MIT on uh, topics that are basically going to define um, the machine learning uh, progress over the next ten years. Uh, in retrospect, you can look back and you can you can see the timeline of this amazing uh, scientific revolution uh, unfolding. But it's not at all human readable. Like even if you are an expert, even if you have a PhD in uh, machine learning, you just can't make sense of all of archive. You might be able to make sense of the papers in your own subdomain, but even there, it's tough. You've got to find them. Archive isn't designed for, for humans in a way. <laughs> I mean, it is, but um, it's, it's just not user-friendly. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, primer science is a stab at making sense of that. Uh, basically, it's a, it's, a really, it's a really hard problem that's well-scoped. So um, what, what it does is it, is it harvests all these papers and it does unsupervised learning on uh, the content of the papers to try and figure out what are the topics that this naturally falls into. So within machine learning, for example, I'm just looking now at some of the latest, the system has discovered that there are not only image reconstruction papers, there's like 58 papers actually in this bag that are on that theme, but it has discovered that there's a whole bunch of uh, research on uh, traffic and temporal analysis. There's something on mathematical optimization. There's a whole bunch of papers about semantic segmentation. Um, so all of this is happening without an ontology or a knowledge base. Um, and that's, you're going to have to have such a system if you want it to work on any corpus of papers. So, um, you could imagine building some super ontology that captures, um, everything there is to know about science. Uh, but then it's going to be out of date next month. Like I wouldn't want to build that thing because, you know, maintaining it would be a nightmare. Instead, you need a system that does more or less what humans do on a smaller scale. What we do is we we look at things and we just sort of eyeball it and say, oh, you know, these are kind of about this and these are about that. And so you get a natural segmentation of the space. And then uh, within each of these topics, uh, it does a time series analysis and it tries to figure out um, if I take all the news and the social uh, media signal, all the tweets about uh, this research as it was published and afterwards, all the commentary um, all the sort of real time online critique, sort of the, the peer review that's happening, um, in real time out, out in the open, can I detect events? And so an event event can be more than just the publication of a paper. It could be that, uh, for example, uh, a self-driving car crashes somewhere and suddenly the world is looking intensely at an issue related to what we do and don't know about these systems. And some of this research may get pulled into that. Uh, If you want to detect that real world event, you need a system that can actually divide all those documents, all those tweets, all those things that are relevant to the same thing and figure out how to segment them in time. And so it does that too. It tries to figure out essentially what were the big events in this space? How was human attention uh, in the world divided uh, in relation to this corpus of papers? Uh, and then it does uh, some other cute tricks to make it make it uh, useful to you as you dive into all of this information. Uh, it pulls out all the people and tries to tell you uh, what it knows about them, just based on the corpus, mind you. Uh, we're also developing a version of this that is building a knowledge base and actually learning about people as it reads the news and as papers are published. But what, you're, what I sent you this morning is just um, essentially the um, out-of-the-box Uh, I don't know anything about the world, but I know this group of thousands of papers you sent me, and this is what I can tell you about them. These are all the people. uh, These are all the topics. uh, These are the events that seem to, uh, all of this information seems to be pointing at out in the real world. And and another cute one is um, if you're finding the jargon really hard to understand, I've generated a dictionary for you. That is kind of a magical dictionary where if you click on a technical term, it actually shows you um, who coined that term. When, how is it defined? Give me some context about how it's used. It's kind of like a uh, Oxford English dictionary on steroids. Nice, nice. I'm finding this interview more challenging than most because as I'm as you're speaking, I've got the the tool in the background, and I keep seeing papers that look really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's working. Super, super distracting. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about the the technology that's making it all happen? Um, yeah. You know, what does the what does the stack look like? What does the pipeline look like? How are you yeah. approaching the unsupervised learning piece? So it all it all begins with uh, a gigantic Elasticsearch index. <laughs> OK, I think if you I think if you talk to uh, a lot of the uh, people that you've interviewed even already about, you know, what's at the bottom of this whole stack. There's often like some massive index of documents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So um, we're ingesting the news and blogs and tweets uh, and scientific papers every day. Um, and that's the starting point of this whole system. And it has this growing corpus. And so um, if you query, as, as we've done uh, today on artificial intelligence, for example, um, the first thing it has to do is, is retrieve all the information that is relevant. And then kicks off this pipeline where basically the first thing it does is it, it tries uh, with unsupervised uh, learning plus several other steps to divide all the information up into natural topics. So within each topic, uh, it then tries to detect the events in the real world that um, any of these documents might be referring to. Uh, so if you've got like 100 documents uh, that might be news documents and scientific papers and social media signal about all the above, um, you do a time series analysis on it and you try and figure out uh, are, are there real world events? It's trying to make an inference here. Are there real, wor real world events that uh, all of this information is pointing at and describing? It looks at events uh, basically from the perspective of news articles. Is that right? Uh, the system you're looking at does, yeah. But um, you can imagine uh, any any document that um, has a meaningful publication timestamp mm -hmm. uh, and includes a description uh, or commentary about something that happened in the real world. It could, in principle, be mapped to something called an event. Okay. The concept the concept of an event is is bigger than what a human intuitively would call event. It, it might actually be, uh, for example, an explosion of uh, discussion around an issue. Uh, for example, uh, the Me Too movement is not just an event, right? It's made up of many events. Right. And some of those events might not even be something that could have been observed in one place at one time. But there is a natural segmentation of all the things happening in the world into something that we call events. So that's the that's the, the theory behind this. Then, if if you click over to overview, um, sorry to distract you again. <laughs> um, then it tries to tell you a story. So uh, we've got many versions of this. Uh, what you're looking at is is basically the um, one of the earliest versions of this. But basically, if if you asked if you asked a machine to go and read thousands of things. Uh, and you give it a budget of one page to tell you what it learned, this is starting to get at what you'd expect to come back. Um, this is what you get. It's basically, um, and it's kind of like a uh, technical report on uh, these are the things that I learned. Um, here, These are the big events. These are the big papers. This is what's getting the most attention. Oh, and then by the way, um, my topic analysis uh, has revealed that there are uh, some changes afoot in artificial intelligence. And um, these are the things that seem to be um, uh, trending upwards and are really interesting. And oh, by the way, I discovered there's this weird paper that seems to fall uh, in this topic, but it's deeply connected to this other topic. And that's statistically strange. I need to tell you about it. Um, and by the way, here's some people who seem to be um, getting uh, a ton of attention. And uh, here's another person who has uh, collaborated with them on a high profile paper and they've never worked together before. That's interesting. So you, you can see what's going on here is it the system has a model of what humans find interesting. And of course, we humans at Primer built that in. There's a story logic that underlies this. You don't want a system to tell you everything it learned. It's just going to be a fu another fire hose. You've made no progress. Um, a one-to-one -one map of the world is not a useful map. So you need something that will compress the information and try and tell you a story. So that's what the system does. I think I interrupted you as you were about to start talking about the, the pipeline that you're sending some of this stuff through. Um, and uh, just go going back to the beginning with, with archive, like are you ingesting all of the archive papers or crawling that site? Like how... Yeah, so um, Paul Ginspark, who founded and still runs uh, Archive, is a friend of mine from a good while back, and uh, and he uses Primer Science as well. I, uh, he, I think actually he's the very first one I made a um, a user account for. Oh wow! <laughs> and, yeah, 
And so he's he's really helped out um, over the past year, making sure that we have uh, direct access. So we don't have to scrape the site. Um, we, we basically just pull down um, uh, the entire day's new papers all in one go. And um, we do the same with news, except it arrives um, more or less in real time. Um, so we, we, we have a real-time stream, more or less, of of the news with maybe a 10 minute delay. And we've got uh, a real time stream of all the tweets that are uh, relevant to the space. And are those via commercial APIs of some sort? Uh, we get them directly from Twitter. Okay. So yeah, we, we have a day to deal with them. Okay. And the news, the news we actually have several sources of, um, one of the most convenient is LexisNexis. Uh, they have a service called moreover, you can actually um, purchase a fire hose of news. They do a really good job, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. So you pull all that into your Elasticsearch index and maybe talk a little bit about some of the underlying NLP bits that are enabling all yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So when you kick off a query, um, what's happening is you're making a lot of reading happening. So, for example, if you um, if you take a look at the topics that have been generated um, uh, text and word embeddings, uh, quantum and all, all of those topic labels that it's generated. Um, it actually, uh, discovered and chose those from the content of the articles themselves. So, um, the first step, uh, in any NLP task on documents is to, uh, tokenize the entire document. So, um, are you familiar with tokenizing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you basically discover all the words and punctuation and you um, run an analysis that gets you the parts of speech. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like what you did in grade school when you made these sentence diagrams to try and make sense of all the different parts of what someone says. Um, and then uh, a whole bunch of things happen in parallel. Basically, you have to there, there's some things that are useful uh, if you if you give it a bag of words. So you can take an entire scientific paper or even a thousand scientific papers and they turn into bags of bags of words. And um, with that kind of analysis, you can you could, for example, discover um, the groups of words, the engrams uh, that basically best describe the space and you can generate a label. So if you go um, into any of those topics, uh, it has decided to call give that topic a name based on the language within the documents themselves, within the topic. So um, I'm still amazed that it works, frankly. <laughs> NLP is kind of magical. Um, when, it, when, it, when something makes sense to a human, when there's a machine that didn't really understand it in the same way you did, right, right. It's, it's kind of magical. Are you using uh, kind of off-the-shelf NLP toolkits? NLTK Python stuff or are you kind of rolling your own stuff? No, we started off that way. Okay. Um, So we've been using this tool Spacey uh, from the very beginning. Um, It's, it's free, it's open source and it's really powerful. Um, And uh, it's, it's really what shocks me is that there are just two people uh, at the heart of this project. Um, A fellow named Hannibal and a gal named Enos who live in Berlin um, not far from where I lived, uh, for a few years and I've gotten to know them a little bit just recently. And, um, it, it does the nuts and bolts NLP that you need. So it will tokenize, but it'll also, uh, discover named entities. It'll f- help you find the people and organizations and, and so forth. Um, but you need to train it. That's something that we have discovered is uh, just probably like everyone else. Um, It'll get you started, but then you need uh, to solve your own problems. It's only a starting point. So, uh, for example, with um, the uh, the people and all the all the information that we can extract about them and and tell you a story based on the people in this space, um, Spacey is one of the things that uh, we use early in the pipeline. But then there's a ton of custom code that we had to build uh, to basically. Um, get the kind of information that Spacey can't get, uh, to clean up, uh, the stuff that Spacey gets wrong, um, to, uh, link it with all the other information we're extracting by other means. 
And it's a mixture of machine learning and good old fashioned regular expressions. Um, the, the, what I find so fun about um, being at an AI startup is the goal here is not to generate research papers. The goal is to just solve problems really well by whatever means you can. So, which I think is like the right motivation to have. Right, right. If you're just motivated to to publish cutting edge papers, you don't care if it works. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I went to this I went to this conference uh, called NIPS, which is uh, essentially like where all this cutting edge research is being debuted. Mm-hmm. And something that really struck me is like half the stuff that people are are bragging about doesn't even really practically work. Or it works within such a narrowly constrained. Yeah, exactly. With a toy uh, problem, it'll work. Right, right, right. But right. it's like it's computationally intractable or whatever. But and that's fine. It's it's like that's the whole point is to debut tomorrow's technology. But it's frustrating when you're trying to build something and um, you get excited about uh, some some new idea and you chase it down only to discover oh this actually never could have worked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Had, and I've, I've had that experience. I've had that experience. I I found a paper using primer science. Of course, um, it's a pretty weird situation to have AI eating itself. We basically have an AI system that reads AI papers, which we then use to try and improve the AI that reads the papers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, we, we came across a really exciting paper and uh, fully replicated it, and it just doesn't work. And that's okay. That's that's how it goes in this space. When you're when you're right at the edge of knowledge, it's not all going to work. So um, we have this principle at Primer of always trying to find the practical solution as quickly as possible. Don't don't get seduced by ideas that are sexy to talk about, but it's not actually solving your problem. Yeah, uh, I should throw in a plug for my newsletter. I've recently written on this topic of reproducibility and. Uh, both science and, and AI, drawing off of a, a recent interview I did with Claire Galnick uh, on this this same topic. Um, and, but I really appreciate you, uh, you know, owning up to that broader pipeline. One of the questions I get a lot when um, talking with folks about their products or or projects is, you know, people want to know, like, okay. Granted, you've applied, you know, some great cutting edge machine learning AI stuff, but what else is there required to make it work? Like what are the how much heuristics are uh, kind of in and around these tools to actually make it work? So to hear you uh, note that, yeah, you know, <laughs> good old re- good old uh, regular expressions are, are used liberally to you know, make sure Absolutely. that this all works. Uh, I think it's important for, it's important to realize that. And, uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I guarantee you, you, you go into, uh, some of the, the biggest, most cutting edge, uh, groups at giant tech companies. You think that they're doing some kind of pristine AI that you just press a button and it understands things. Uh, I guarantee you look under the hood and there's just a ton of regular expressions. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's not to say that machine learning isn't the way forward. Like it totally is, but to make these things work, uh, on actual problems, it, it, it's still a labor of love. So you're doing a lot with spacey. Are you also, which, uh, I'm assuming is more traditional NLP, technology approach are you also doing things with uh like word to vec and and uh mm-hmm. deep learning based approaches yeah um in particular uh as we've expanded into other languages beyond english uh spacey is just not um gonna cut it when you want to make something that understands russian and chinese mm. uh so uh we've actually had to um, pretty much make a bunch of tools from scratch, but, um, it, it, it relies on word vectors and word embeddings and, um, where things, uh, where things get complicated is, is actually where you try and pull this all together. So, um, if you, if you use deep learning to extract, uh, for example, uh, some pattern in, you know, a a corpus of 10,000 documents, um, the harder thing, you know, once you've extracted it is knowing whether you're right and whether it's worth saying, like I can, I can, I can find a bunch of patterns, uh, in text, 
pretty easily. But the harder thing is assessing how confident am I that I've found something that I haven't just misextracted. Uh, it's not just a spurious pattern. And then even harder than that, is it worth telling you? How, like, how do I square this with my model of what humans are interested in? Right. Right. So where we're headed with this is basically a model of stories, which ultimately is a model of humans. Humans are storytellers. We've evolved to do this thing. And we just take it for granted. Like what we're doing right now, this conversation is, is incredibly high tech. Like you and I, you and I in real time are like gliding through a narrative that millions exist. of years of technology evolution. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I think this is actually the next frontier of AI. Um, decoding what story is. Yeah. And so what does that mean practically? How, how are you approaching that? Yeah. So here, here's a bite-sized example. Uh, if you make, um, something that reads scientific papers, uh, and, uh, tries to tell you what you need to know about AI research last week, for example, um, it's not enough to just give you a dashboard of here's the most shared paper. Here's the, here's the paper that got the most news. Um, here's the paper that currently has the most citations. Um, that's not doing much heavy lifting for you. Um, if, if you were to hire a thousand human analysts to just work for you, like imagine you had that luxury, um, what would you ask them to do? That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the better guiding question. And, and what, what sort of story would they tell you? What would the format be? I, I guarantee the humans wouldn't come back and give you a dashboard. They would say, okay, the big deal last week is um, that a self-driving car crashed and it's kicked off a huge discussion about quality control and uh, where, where system, system errors are going to creep in um, and how you can make uh, machine learning systems understandable. Like from an engineering point of view, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with this emerging problem? And the people who are weighing in on this are the following deep, uh, researchers in deep learning, but here's some other people who are uh, very knowledgeable, but they're in an adjacent domain. And we think this is, this is really worth knowing. But meanwhile, by the way, we discovered a paper published by, um, a couple of researchers, uh, that you've rarely heard of, but it's getting a lot of, of traction and it seems to be on a topic that is emerging and you're probably going to care about this. Um, you know, it's, it's basically, it has to do with voice recognition and we know that that's an interesting topic, but the more interesting thing is that this researcher is really well known in a totally different field and is just like diving into this and that's unusual. So check it out. Like, here's the paper. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, you really should read this paper. And then by the way, like, um, here, here's basically a, a new concept that is creeping into the space and we haven't seen it before this might be a fluke but i, I think this is actually uh something that's that's worth knowing about and so here are five papers that you should read you know I've, i'm working within your budget here so that's that's what all the humans would do it's basically the kind of like one one to two page uh presidential uh intelligence briefing you know that ideally that's what it would look like a ton of research has gone into boiling things down to a very tight story. And that's all you need to know. And so the, the idea then is that you've got some kind of generative model for creating these, you know, basically your briefing. Uh, yeah. Over and it has two steps. It has two steps, like at least two steps. One is what information can I find that's truly relevant, the mm -hmm. raw ingredients of a story. And then the next step is, well, how can I synthesize this into an actual story? I have to do text generation, document planning. Um, you know, you give me a budget, a page, a paragraph. Maybe you just want a bullet point um, and I'll work with it. Uh, I'll be able to express this as a story given that constraint. And so kind of going back to our earlier exchange about, um, you know, good old fashioned heuristics, like how, to what degree, I haven't looked at, you know, compared one of these briefing pages versus another, but, you know, how much is generation and how much is, you know, more, you know, like templates and things like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, the philosophy we followed is always start fast and doable. I mean, put another way, like you always want to start with, uh, 
a model that you can fully understand yourself and implement quickly mm-hmm. so that you have some some baseline. Sure. So, um, yeah, we, we've always, always started with uh, first, can you do it yourself as a human? Maybe even no computer involved. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you were to read 10 papers and try and say something intelligent about them, uh, for example, tell me, tell me, for example, what um, if you were to classify events and I gave you a, a pile of papers and I said, how, how would you uh, classify these events? What kind of tags would you attach to them? Or if you were looking for a particular kind of event. Could you could you uh, divide papers into yes and no? Um, always start with yourself. You, the engineer, can you yourself do it? Because if you can't, you're probably going to have a hard time teaching a computer to do it. And then if you uh, get some other humans, probably the you know the person just two chairs away from you, if you can get someone else to do the same task independently and get the same ideally or a similar answer, okay, now you're in good shape. Only then do you start building a computational system to try and uh, do this automatically. And your first stab at that should be something straightforward, um, a set of regular expressions, heuristics. Um, can you can you actually uh, find this yourself um, uh, using rules that you yourself devise? And then if the only way really to get beyond that, to really tackle increasing complexity, is to have something that will learn on its own. You'll never do that with regular expressions. You have to you have to use machine learning to have a system uh, find patterns itself in a changing world. So I think you're saying then that there's you know you're somewhere on the spectrum of templates and machine learning. Oh yeah, always. In yeah, fact, yeah. Uh, I think the the best things out there um, are always somewhere in the middle. Right. I think right. by definition. Yeah, and and essentially it becomes a race. Uh, can, can we build something that can learn faster and output better, uh, smarter content, uh, than the pre the system we have, uh, we had a little race actually recently, um, to try and build an event classifier and, um, a brilliant engineer named Leonard, uh, Appleton, uh, took a stab at just using regular expressions, huh. no wow. machine learning. And, um, uh, another brilliant engineer named Yash took on the task of solving the same problem using a really complicated uh, machine learning graphical model. And um, sometimes uh, John Henry wins the race. Frankly, um, uh, Yash uh, could not build a system, at least last I checked, uh, that could do better than Leonard's uh, massive, complicated uh, regular expression heuristic engine. Um, But, you know, eventually eventually machine learning will win. Like we all know that. Right. Right. But, uh, that's, that's the beauty of a practical approach. When, when you're really driven by practical principles, um, you're willing to say, well, we've got a better solution. That's actually simpler and easier to understand. Let's use that for now. Um, keep trying, but it's, it, it's never long before a machine learning based system does better. It's just Mm -hmm. an incredibly powerful tool. When you're, Using machine learning for tasks like summarization, where you referenced earlier, you know, first you do it, then you get someone else to do it and you compare them, you know, your summary of a given paper or a given paragraph is likely to be very different from mine. Like, what do you, how do you find ground truth so that you can train learning models? Yeah, that you've really put your finger on the hardest problem. Uh, Stories by their nature can be told um, infinite ways. And um, there are some automated techniques that have been around for um, a decade. Um, they have French color names. I don't know how that came about, but there's something called rouge and there's something called blue. And what they do is they, uh, they treat the output as um, a bag of word problems. And they try and find out how much information overlap uh, there is between a human summary and a computer summary. Uh, as you can imagine, that's great if you're trying to measure whether you got it terribly wrong, right? <laughs> if, if, if we if we make two summaries and they have nothing right. to do with each other, then they're probably they're probably not talking about the same thing. Uh, maybe, so, 
<laughs> That's right. I mean, Sometimes. if we're summarizing fiction, right, you could be, mm-hmm. we could be summarizing on two totally different levels and both be right. That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, so, the same, I, I think the same holds true for news. I mean, you know, I, I'll let you continue, but that seems like a very, very rudimentary metric. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised then to learn that the latest, greatest papers in this field are still using those metrics hmm. because they're easy. Um, you know, you can it's it's a one click measurement. Right. Um, right. But it, it it really doesn't help when you want to assess uh, a subtle uh, output of a story that could be sliced and diced sort of infinite ways. Unfortunately, um, it becomes a captcha. You need some human to read it and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or that's crazy. Right. Um, but there are there are some techniques you can use. So um, one is uh, you can actually crowdsource uh, assessment of narrative. You can you can give human annotators uh, and scorers um, a, a system, a rigorous system. So like you can measure the coherence, you can measure the um, the sophistication, the uh, whether or not you've you've uh, really summarized the space well in various ways. Those, those sounds like they would require a fairly sophisticated crowdsource. Uh, yeah. Agent. So that's right. Like the, the more technical and uh, sophisticated this task becomes, the less you can rely on mechanical Turk. Uh, in fact, eventually you've got your own engineers doing this. So it's, <laughs> it's definitely not scalable. Um, but uh, there are, uh, there are some, some tricks that you can use. So for example, um, if I generate a bunch of summaries uh, on a topic that I've already summarized, for example, if I have a Wikipedia article about it, I can at least find out if the most important entities in the narrative have been represented. And I can also uh, turn the system around and do extraction on the summary. You can even, I will suggest to make a generative adversarial network that generates stories and critiques them. You can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, you can you can have a system that uh, tries to check off all the boxes of what counts as a good story. Like you've you've talked about the most important entities and you've expressed their relationships. Uh, you've come in under budget in terms of uh, space mm-hmm. on the page. Um, but ultimately, you're going to need a human to assess whether it's a well written story. Until we can crack the code of text style transfer. Um, where you can actually say, tell me the story in the style of a New York times reporter, or tell me the story in the, in the style of, uh, um, you know, a, a terse military briefing. <laughs> Send out um, my text we, in uh, Hemingway style. Exactly. And until we can actually have, uh, networks that can both detect and reproduce, uh, narrative style. Um, I think we're, we're for the time being stuck in a world where it's really hard to assess, how well our systems are doing. Um, ultimately, you want to hook this up to your, your users and, and either passively or actively harvest their feedback. So um, the simplest version of this, of course, is A-B testing. If you write many versions of a summary um, and you expose a large number of humans to A versus B, you can just find out uh, what they think of it by, for example, whether they click through and read it. Um, you can you can also make it active. You can let users say, "Yeah, that was good," or "That was bad." Or going um, back to my uh, Hemingway text summaries, uh, Google Inbox presenting you three choices for how to summarize the response, the appropriate response to an email. Yep, and we've played with that as well. We we gem- generate alternative summaries uh, to events, for example. Um, it's 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 a really powerful way of real time effortless quality checking. You don't, you don't want to have to sort of pause your whole engineering operation in order all the time just to assess how well you're doing. You really want it to be sort of continual. You want to mm-hmm. always be reading the output of your own uh, com- computational systems. We call it dog fooding. Mm-hmm. You've you got to be real-time dog fooding. And so the nice thing about primer science is this thing that I'm building is we, uh, we use it to discover the research that is going to help us make it better. And so if you keep on using the thing, you are your own quality assessor. That really helps. Right. Right. But hard to scale. I I wish I could clone myself in some way to uh, assess 
sort of at a thousand X. Now, one thing that I didn't see in what you've built, it, it seems like it is, it does a really good job at kind of this meta characterization of archive and what's happening in, in different categories. But I didn't see it attempting to summarize individual papers, which is the thing that Jeff Dean and I were originally talking about. Is it trying to do that somewhere? Not in what you're looking at. Um, we are we are actually working on that that summarization problem. Okay. Um, yeah. So we we've taken two strategies, uh, and they're kind of running uh, in parallel. One is extractive summarization, where mm-hmm. you you you're the system is allowed to pull words and even whole sentences directly from the text and then kind of pull them together into a summary that works extremely well when you have a large number of docs like if you if you have a hundred documents all on all about the same thing uh extractive summarization is really powerful and really efficient uh and then the alternative is abstractive summarization where the system is going to write its own words often character by character uh out of thin air and it has a language model. So it reads all these things and it it basically makes a prediction about uh, what it should say next as it generates a summary. Um, a, a really nice uh, bit of progress in this field that we've been using is abstractive summarization with pointers. So the idea here is you also have a sense of your confidence about whether the word or phrase that you're putting uh, into the summary at any given time uh, is going to be a good choice. And if you're not so confident, you point back to the text and you grab the thing itself. So for example, if you had a sentence that said, um, uh, a, um, one of the most exciting areas of, uh, artificial intelligence these days is, um, gener- generative adversarial networks. Now, if, if gener- generative adversarial networks, that phrase is something that you haven't encountered or y- your model basically says, I'm, I'm not sure if that, if I can actually paraphrase that, then what you want to do is what a good human writer would do. You just go back and you grab that thing. So you can, you can summarize while also having some of the advantages of extractive. Mm. So summarizing basically around the, the entities that you aren't too sure about. Exactly. It basically becomes a sliding scale between abstractive and extractive. The more confident it gets, the more abstractive it gets, the more flexible it gets, which will allow you to summarize a single scientific paper, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of sentences. Um, and if you're not so sure, then it slides over to extractive and it will just pull out the sentences that it deem and the phrases that it deems are the most central and informative. Interesting. It's a hard problem, though. It's a really hard problem. Another thing uh, that makes it hard when it comes to scientific papers is they already have their own summaries. They're called abstracts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you'd, and you'd think that, oh, great, this it, job done. But uh, abs- as you know, abstracts themselves can be so riddled with jargon and references to arcane things that it's hardly a summary at all. It's really only a summary for the authors of the paper. <laughs> right, right. So right. you really need a summary of the summary. Right. <laughs> and that's what we're working on. Uh, we're finding that you really do need to power this with a, an ontology and a knowledge base, though. Elaborate on that. OK, so let's take, for example, a problem that I'm just starting to work on. Um, how do you how do you summarize and make sense of uh, pharmaceutical research papers? Um, so uh, there is an ontology that is available to everyone. Uh, that basically the NIH um, paid for called mesh and um, it's 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 kind of like uh, every every jargon term in in uh, biochemistry and molecular biology uh, gene names and gene types uh, all of that is captured in this very rich ontology that was hand built by no doubt by uh, unthanked graduate students. <laughs> and uh, something that's really nice about Mesh is that it's actually a subset of Wikidata. And Wikidata is the database uh, that stands behind Wikipedia. Um, now, I, I say that uh, in an idealistic way because actually, in reality, that's the way it was dreamed up. Oh, Wikidata is going to basically be the database that powers Wikipedia. But in fact, um, it's not there yet. Humans, humans vastly prefer to uh, update Wikipedia with content, and Wikidata basically plays catch up. 
nonetheless, it is a huge, powerful uh, open source knowledge base. Uh, and the mesh ontology is a subset of it. And so um, if you want to summarize a scientific paper, just a single scientific paper, the first thing you need to do is, is make sense of it. You need to map all of those words, which to the computer are just, it could be random numbers for all it cares. It has no idea what it means. You need to map them to concepts. And that's what systems like mesh were designed to help us do. So the idea being instead of what you're doing in science primer and uh, doing this in a totally unsupervised manner, here you're using the additional information you're getting from the uh, pre-existing ontology to help the machine make sense of the various documents. And to paraphrase it. So like a good mm. summary is something that doesn't just like say less. Uh, it also says just as much, but in, in, in a compressed way. Right, right. You know, if I just tell you the beginning of a story, I haven't really compressed that story for you. Um, I need to like give you the sense of the beginning, middle and end and compress that all down into three sentences. Mm -hmm. And um, you're not going to be able to do that just using a uh, the standard NLP techniques on a scientific paper. You're just not going to be able to do it. No right. way. Right. You have to uh, map that out to an ontology and say, oh, you know, this long sentence describing this uh, genetic pathway, I can boil that down to a single sentence that says um, the genetic pathway X, you know? Mm -hmm. Interesting. But yeah, you, you need a lot of tacit knowledge to be able to do that. So that's what we're working on. Awesome. Well, John, this has been super interesting. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, just uh, that... Uh, I'd like to make a prediction. Go ahead. Well, I predict that the kind of stuff we're working on is going to accelerate artificial intelligence research more than anything else. I think building AI that can read the latest research on AI and help the engineers who build it, build it faster is going to, uh, vastly accelerate the whole process. Awesome. Well, we will put your prediction on the blockchain and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure we get all the jargon in. Uh, exactly. Then we'll yeah. do an ICO. <laughs> we'll do an ICO, right? <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, Sam. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. For more information on John or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 136. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.